This is the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. Rule number one is you have to believe in yourself. You're the only one who doesn't think you belong in this appointment. The prospect has already validated your existence by scheduling time with you. Get it through your head you belong here, go in there, crush it, and close the deal. A place where sales professionals can come to learn from other sales professionals and thought leaders that have mastered their craft. The difference between a good salesperson and a best-in-class salesperson is only two minutes. By spending an extra two minutes on what you might think is a mundane task in the sales game, you separate yourselves from the pack, you grow your book of business, you close more deals, and you retain your accounts. As well as their peers who are still striving for perfection to achieve their why. I have a wife and four kids. Failure is not an option. Real sales professionals. Real stories. Real results. It's no different than being a professional baseball player. You can't be a one-trick pony. You have to be a five-tool player in order to succeed in this game. This is the Power Producers Podcast. Production redefined. Are you ready to feel the power? What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Power Producers Podcast, where we are refining and redefining the sales game. And today, we ain't selling anything but insurance agencies. And that's why we brought the guys from Legacy Advisors on to talk about how they advocate for you when that time comes. We have Max Olson and Mike Almberg from Legacy Advisors, and they are going to tell you what they do specifically to help you make sure you get the maximum value for your agency when it comes time for you to move on to the next thing in life. So before we get cranked up, fellas, why don't you give them sort of the overview of who you are, where you came from, and what qualifies you to be experts to advise people, which we know you are, but sometimes, you know, people are skeptical. There's a lot of people out there whispering in ears right now, Hmm. and I know it because I get a dozen, 15 calls a week from people who all tell me they can get max valuation. So you have some unique backgrounds, I think, that qualify for you qualify you for this more than others speak to that for just a second if you don't mind yeah well we really appreciate you going through and having us on your podcast this is great on it like background so my background i come from the insurance agency world dad owned an agency had two uncles that own agencies i owned an agency for for eight years started in 2012 i uh, done three small acquisitions very small agency acquisitions to kind of start that off and then uh grew that from 2012 to 2020 I uh, went from three to 30 employees uh, before selling to private equity back to agency in two thousand end of 2020. And uh, when we went through and did that, I uh, started going through and getting a lot of questions from other agency owners about like possibly going through and selling. So myself and another advisor on our team uh, facilitated about 200 million in transactions over the next 18 months with, a, with another broker. And we learned there was a lot of stuff that was going right. But there was a lot of stuff that was missing uh, or could have been done better. And, and ultimately, there was practically no focus on like the day two culture. What would happen after the sale? Are you joining the right group in the first place? So would you be happy a year, three years down the road? And we realized there just wasn't really that much focus on it. And ultimately, that led to a lot of our friends, a lot of our colleagues that have gone through made decisions and maybe they chose the wrong partner. Maybe they undersold their value. Uh, it just didn't work out exactly the way they, the way they wanted it to. Um, so we realized like, that there's an opportunity here. We can make this better. Um, got connected with Mike. I'll let him give his background because it's very different than mine. 
Yeah, sure. Thank you, Max and, and David and Kyle. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, uh, so my my background's in private equity. Uh, so up until starting Legacy with with Max, uh, I'd spent my time investing uh, mostly in software and tech enabled services businesses. Uh, and we would we would invest up front, obviously, and then we would help them grow, and then eventually help them sell to sometimes a larger strategic uh, competitor, sometimes another private equity firm, hopefully for more money than what we paid for it. <laughs> and uh, learned a lot in that process, a lot about different business models, learned a little bit about insurance. I would say, admittedly, I, I know the least about insurance on, on the call with the, the three of you guys. Well, I don't know. That's up for debate. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, definitely learned that that there's definitely a, a, a good process you can put in place when you're looking to sell your business. Um, there's a lot of different components that go into it. And the companies that we were working with, typically much larger uh, than our clients with, with Legacy. So generally these companies up front were somewhere between call it 10 and 50 million of revenue. We would try to double or triple them over the, the time that there were our portfolio companies. And uh, yeah, there was just a lot of best practices that we saw going through the kind of traditional investment banking model where you do the dog and pony show across the whole country and meet with a, a bunch of different sophisticated buyers. And you know, you're, you're putting together different materials, financial materials, content on the business, things like that. And what we try to do now is take a lot of those best practices that were, you know, used mostly with larger companies and we're applying them to independent insurance agencies. Um, and it, it's been a lot of fun. I, there's a lot of people with my skill set out there uh, that can work through an Excel spreadsheet and, and build a model. Um, but I think Max kind of hit on it. I think we work well as a team because Max has that kind of perspective of, you know, starting, growing, and obviously selling his business. Uh, so I think what makes us, you know, uniquely qualified is we've been on both sides of the table. And like I said, it, it's, it's been a lot of fun. So I think a question that probably, I don't honestly know that I've ever heard anybody ask this on a podcast when they're talking to somebody similar to y'all. But to me, it's it's probably one of the most basic questions that should be asked to sort of set the table for where conversation goes. Okay, so now that I've built it up, I promise you, I'm I'm giving you guys a softball. I'm not going to throw you one that's going to you know, send you for a loop. But I, I really believe that the average agency owner out there right now is getting peppered with a lot of people who have interest, specifically coming from tech and investment banking. What makes an independent insurance agency so appealing to an investment group that everybody wants to throw their hat in the ring, it seems, over the last couple of years? Why independent agencies? Yeah, David, that, that is a softball. So if you think about all the things that are interesting to software businesses, right? Recurring revenue, high margins at scale, big market. Insurance is incredible for that, right? right? I mean, if you do a good job servicing your clients... The business is going to stick around year after year. The margins, as you know, if if you you know listen to podcasts such as yours, and you, you have a lot of you know colleagues in the space as well, where you can get a ton of information for free uh, to give you a good sense of benchmarks, what you should be spending money on, you know how you can grow stuff like that. The margins can be very very interesting as well. So insurance is kind of like this. I feel like it was kind of like a hidden gem for me. I, I didn't have many friends that went into it out of school, and yeah, it's it's just it's a great industry. I think. We're seeing a lot of private equity consolidation in areas like physical therapy practices and dental practices. And I'm obviously biased, but I think insurance agencies, independent insurance agencies specifically, are very, uh, very unique asset class for for PE buyers. 
I've, and, and I would ask to follow up with that. I mean, do you, do you think that it's because it's easier uh, to predict the future revenues of an agency that's been around 10 years compared to that dental practice or whatever? I mean, I never really, I never really thought about it in terms of comparing it from one to the other, but you know, if you look at it from a, any other business, like a, a retail facility or something like that, you like, if I owned a store, let's just say I owned a, a mom and pop store and it was a well-known in my area. We had a couple of What would of you sell? What are you going to be selling? I'm going to sell widgets, Kyle, because that's what you do in every business case is you sell wiz- widgets. I, I didn't know if you were going to sell schnitzel and red cabbage now. That we're you're... out of that today, as you well know. <laughs> so anyhow, you know, when I look at that, though, I, I always think about if I had a retail facility, I still have to count on somebody to get in their car, show up, come to my, come to my place, shop, load up their buggy, you know, with whatever they're going to buy, check out, go home and then repeat that process. And again, the margins are much lower, but I, I just feel like the ability to retain a client in what we do much like software. I mean, look, there's nobody that's figured out how to retain clients better than software companies, right? And I'm going to I want to be very clear. This is my opinion, not the opinion of Mike or Max, but I think to a fault to some degree too. They are 100% married to their contracts and it's like they don't have the ability to make a humanistic decision. I mean, I've had situations with some of the insurance software providers where literally an agency principal has been on their deathbed and they give them no reprieve from their revenue sh- the, uh, contract or anything else. And so, you know, from my perspective in looking at how easy it is, if you do your job the right way to renew business and and build that business and have it grow, even not just from rounding out and having good sales skills, but just the organic growth, my agency is going to get a 25% lift in revenue this year, just because of market conditions. That's a, that's a good insane. place for, it's a good place for me to be this year. It's not a good place for me to be three or four years from now when the market softens again. But I, I do feel like for whatever reason, it, it's, it just seems to me like agencies are much easier to pre- predict. And the other thing I'm going to say is, and again, this is my opinion, not the opinion of Mike and Max. There's a lot of people who do a really bad job at running agencies. Like there's a lot of opportunity there. So from my perspective, you know, just like we go after the accounts that are heavy on workers' comp losses, whether it be frequency and severity, they have a high experience mod. I'm going to prospect that account because I know my value proposition plays and I can help them. I think there's a lot of opportunity, not necessarily for the best in class agencies. Let the guys with, you know, unlimited checkbooks fight those, you know, fight over those. I want the one that's maybe been run okay, but. You got a business owner that maybe doesn't really use discretion with the debit card like they should and some other things. I think there's a lot of people out there that are just normal, normal guys like us that started a business, didn't realize it was going to get that big. And now they're kind of there and it makes a good living for them. But it's like, what else could I do with my life? And I think there's a lot of opportunity there where it may not be as good for them because their valuation may not be pegged where it could be. But it's a great opportunity for the acquirer because you know you're going to get some lift just by going in and fixing some things. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that have gone through, especially over the last few years, um, and they've done a lot of acquisitions and they're doing a roll-up strategy uh, for that exact reason, right? Like there's agency owners that haven't invested much time back into their agency. They don't have that great of back-end processes. And if you come in and actually implement those, and you're going to do pretty well. Yeah, I agree. So... We all know what the activity's been like the last couple of years. 
I think that it has started to wane a little bit as some of the bigger players that were being more aggressive appear to be leveraged more than what they would like to be and have started to back off. I know that the number of phone calls I get has slowed down. That part of that may be because I've very been very specific. I'm not interested in selling my agency. Don't call me again. Yeah. But I also think that market conditions have changed that quite a bit too. What about the people who are out there that are wondering, man, did I miss the curve? Did I miss the bubble? Is it too mm -hmm. late for me to sell my agency? Or is there still an opportunity out there for us to be able to, to go out there and, and try and make a move? Mike? Go ahead, Max. You're prepared right, for this. Cool. Yeah, so um, uh, I'd say basically end of last year was like top of the mountain, right? Like if you sold there, you're going to get the highest multiple. Now it's a little bit a little bit down on the mountain, but it is still a lot better than what it was three or four years ago. So if you look at it from like a historical, it's still a great spot. At the same time, over the last year, there've been a lot of agencies that have had significant growth specifically because of the rate. So their their net sales price is probably relatively similar today as, as what it would have been last year with a little bit higher of a multiple, but a little bit less of revenue or, or, or profit. Um, I, I think honestly, right now it's, it's a great time, especially if it's a scenario where you're, you're still growing, you're still involved in the agency. You don't want to leave like on the first day. I think there's a lot of groups that are, that are willing to pay sizable multiples. Yeah. How many, in uh, your experience, how many people do you see? And I mean, I know you don't have an exact number, but I mean, for me, I've always said that if it, if the day comes where I'm going to end up selling to a third party, as opposed to perpetuating internally, you want to be out. I want, yeah, I want to be out, man. Like I want to, I want to hand the keys over, say, thank you very much. That due diligence was I, like, I would have to imagine like that most everything. agency owners are the same way, right? Like they've, they've, especially ones who've started it like up from the ground, like you have, like, they don't want to have somebody come in and be like, all right, thank you. But here's how things are going to go now. And we need you to do this. And be like, well, what? I don't know. I don't know if that's the case or not though. Cause there's a lot of money to be made on the second sale, man. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I see a lot of people like we're seeing a lot with service contractors here right now. There's a lot of roll-ups that are coming in and buying plumbers, HVAC companies, electricians. And I've had some really good friends that are clients or were clients until they sold that have done that. And those guys typically will keep like 25% of whatever the deal they'll get 75% in stock up front, 25% they'll hold, I'm sorry, 75% cash. They'll hold 25% in stock with the idea being they're going to go out and recruit other people to acquire and they're going to grow their, continue to grow their business on the same trajectory. And I don't know if it's been true about every single instance, but in most cases, by the time four or five years rolls around, the twenty five percent they kept in kept in stock in the roll up is worth more than the cash out that they got in the agency. So they yeah. more than double their money. I think that's probably if it works anything close to that in insurance, very very similar and why some people would want to stick around. I think another dynamic is that people don't want to give up the baby. They want they like the idea of an acquisition. They like the idea of the money. But when push comes to shove, it's tough, man. I mean, I remember hearing Scott Addis talk about when he sold his agency for the first time to um, Susquehanna Bank up there in Pennsylvania. He literally cried as he handed them the keys and ended up buying it back later. And then he turned around and sold it to BB&T BB again a year or two ago. I just think it depends on what season of life you're in. 
I'm in the season of I'm in the season of life where I just want to walk away. I understand that that may cost me a chunk of change. I don't care. I want the quality (laughs) of life. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I I care that I maximize the value for the transaction. But if my transaction involves me walking away from the business and not having to contribute, I think anybody that can come in and and logically think through things would understand that's a smaller transaction than what it would be if I stuck around and helped through the transition. I don't know, man, maybe one day I changed my mind, but as it stands, I just, I think I want to cash out and and, and be done and be on a big boat somewhere in the middle of the Well, what you said there was, it depends on where you are in your stage of your life and what you want to do. You know, that's, that's the key. And that's obviously different for every person. Yeah. Well, well absolutely. I think also, like, I would say, go for Mike. Yeah. So I would say so far, the vast majority of the clients that we've worked with have stayed on. A lot of them were really good salespeople at captive agencies, got a great sales background, like to sell, like to build relationships, like to do business development efforts. But they figured out the economics and they said, Hey, I should be doing this for myself. But at the end of the day, they just, they didn't want to be business owners. They didn't want to deal with the HR, IT, accounting, all the stuff that sucks the energy out of you, David, probably with, with your business. When they realized that they can pass that off to a back office of a, you know, a massive agency with PE money behind it, that's really dialed in all those different operations. And they can just focus on what gives them energy working with people. A lot of times they get re-energized. And from the from the acquirer's perspective, that's where they want those principals spending their time, right? That's where their skill is. The HR and back office stuff, you know, they have great operations already internally um, that cost a lot less than, frankly, what they'd be paying a principal in, in their commission structure. Um, so a lot of times we'll see that someone gets re-energized. Obviously, seeing the earn out in front of you uh, can can kickstart some motivation as well. But just spending time on what you want to spend time on is is big for a lot of our clients. Yeah. And I think also like the, the agency is typically 70 to 95% of their worth, right? Their net worth. So they want to make sure that they go through and they maximize it uh, at the same time, like them going through and then selling is also like a de-risk play. They know what the value is today. If they decide they want to go through and then retire in five years or two years, like they have that choice. It's easier than because the assets are sold. Um, so th- there's a lot of people that basically say like, oh, I want to go through and retire in three or five years, probably want to sell like today if you want to retire in three years, if you're trying to maximize the overall value. Um, and if you want to go through and then just walk away, and if you've got like something sizable, it really, really helps to go through and then make sure you have really great talent underneath you. So then that way you're not getting discounted heavily when you exit because the business is so much focused on you. Is is that the biggest mistake you see is people just like trying to get out at the wrong time? Or like, is there a common trend you see when people are trying to sell that maybe that has, has happened over and over that talk about that a little bit. I think people go through and then think I'm ready to go through and then retire. So I'm going to sell today. And I think generally speaking, you should be looking at it three to five years beforehand because there's stuff that you can go through and then change over the last year that if it's an eight times multiple, you change $50,000 expenses, you walk away with $400,000 higher sales price. Like that makes sense to go through and then do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I see like the timing being like a, people don't have as much education up front and maybe wait a little bit longer than they should have. Yeah. There's, there's a couple of commonalities on both the sell side and the buy side, right? Everyone wants, everyone wants their employees to be happy after the, after the sale, right? Yeah. Everyone wants the clients to be taken care of. 
it's really hard for those, those, both of those things to happen if a principal is just selling and walking away with no, no transition, right? So mm-hmm. buyers will incentivize a principal to stick around through an earnout period. Could, it's usually three years is typically what we see. Sometimes it can be longer. But typically, if you go through that period, you can train, you can hire, you can kind of build your team under the principal to take over a lot of those tasks in that time if, if the desire is to step away from the business. A lot of times what we see is they'll actually stick around longer because they're, again, what I was saying before, spending time on on where they want to spend their time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really hard to make the math work from the buyer's perspective if someone's walking away from day one because there's going to be some churn. There's going to be some unhappy employees. Uh, Max Max does a really good job talking about this with with his unique scenario. You know, a lot of his employees, uh, or Max, you say, you can tell the story oh, about it. Yeah, I mean, basically, I I had sold uh, just shy of three years ago at this point. There's 27 of my 30 employees that are still there. So like, we obviously went through managed the transition well, and they were happy with the result uh, result too. If I left on day one instead of a year and a half later, it wouldn't have been the same scenario. There's no way it could have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a, there are things that agency owners can be doing now, whether they're going to sell tomorrow, whether they're going to sell three years from now, 10 years from now. And it's to avoid those things that end up popping up when the acquisition comes. So, you know, I don't, I don't want to ask you guys to give away the secret sauce as advisors, but what are, what are two or three things that you see are common trends that we should all be paying attention to in our daily, in our daily activities that if we can course correct now, it's going to have a much more positive impact on us down the road when it's time for us to exit. Yeah. I, I think a couple of things, just uh, like pitfalls that are more difficult to fix right before a sale. One, just reviewing your producer contracts and having a good understanding about what that will be like when you go through and then sell. Um, there have been oftentimes where people didn't realize that they would owe money to people uh, and maybe they didn't actually bring that much value to the scenario. So just making sure you understand, like if you if you sell and you have producers, what have you bound yourself to? And can you make adjustments there if necessary? Uh, I think also just on the expense side, watch out for the things that you can't change within 12, 24 months, right? Things like leases um, and contracts with with vendors. If you can go through and then change it within 12 months, really not as not as big of a deal. But if you go through and then sign a really expensive lease for like a, a great area, it's going to have a cool culture. And that ultimately costs you several hundred thousand dollars in your sales price because of it, because you can't get out of it. That that hurts. Yeah. Mike, anything on your end? Yeah. Just I guess to add on to the um, to the office expense, we've seen a lot of agencies consolidate to fewer and fewer offices. I don't know if it was COVID that, that kind of started it. But yeah, you can, you can be super efficient. And David, you, I know you're at the forefront of it too. There's, there's a lot of insure tech software out there. Some of it's overkill. You don't need it all, but there's definitely some awesome solutions out there that allow you to collaborate and, and you don't have to do everything in person anymore. Obviously, if your clients want to want some in-person, you know, face-to-face time, that's great. Service them the best you can, but you don't need, you know, five offices for a you know, million dollar revenue insurance agency it just it doesn't make sense not anymore that's not i mean people aren't right. just walking in like that anymore i mean even before right. covid it had slowed down yeah yeah i mean the other thing too is when you're using that technology i think the agents need to keep in mind that it's freeing you up to be more effective with the people who do need you personally and do need you one-on-one yeah you know we have really good tech in our agency better than 
most, if not all agencies that are the size and shape that we are, even to the point where we have somebody that's a full-time team member that does nothing but integrate that technology with our client base to make sure that there's utilization and I'm getting a return on that investment. And you know what? Um, the jury's out, man. Maybe it was a bad move for me to create that role, but I have to believe that by having that person and doubling down on my belief and using tech to enhance the client experience, we're going to end up with better loss ratios and subsequently better profit sharing bonuses, which will supersede the amount of money I had to pay to bring that resource in to be that liaison. Yeah. But, you know, I think that, I think that's, that's a big, um, a big takeaway because I've also seen busted tech stacks and agencies where they have one of everything, but they use like two things, but it's been a monthly recurring expense forever. And I got to imagine if I'm a buyer and I come in and I see that on the financials, I'm just licking my chops. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah, I can get rid of that. I can get rid of that. I can get rid of that. And you know, there's just, there's a lot of, of, of fat out there and, yeah. and it's weird, man. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know why it exists. It's not like we don't know we're paying for it. We just never use it. You know, it's just, it's like the, it's like the, the, the bill collector calling when you owe somebody money, you know, and I remember from when I was in my early twenties and ran my first company into the ground, I just literally didn't answer the phone. Cause I felt like if I don't answer the phone, this is eventually <laughs> going to go away. It never goes away. It only gets worse. And I think the same thing holds true with the tech in our agencies, you know, we'll sit there and not use it, not use it, not use it. Then eventually we get pissed and we get rid of it and we blame the technology, even though we're the ones who yeah. never did anything to execute. Oh no, that software is terrible. I got it sat here for a year and did nothing. Well, I don't know <laughs> what kind of software you can get that doesn't require yeah. some level of human interaction. But at the end of the day, I hear that all the time. And I got, so I got to believe like just, even something as simple as taking a look at your, just sit down every month with your check register, you know, your account statement yeah. and say, what are these, you know, what are these expenses that I don't really have a return on anymore? Yeah. Well, you, have a better business. you have a better business when you do that. And, and it's all amplified when it comes time to sell, because when you start thinking about that extra, you know, thousand dollars a year, $2,000 a year, when you start looking at it through the lens of, you know, that's eight to 10 times, you know, profit lift, um, it starts adding up and it, it puts it in perspective, but yeah, David, to your point, you should, you should be doing that annually. Well, well I think you, a lot of times there you have so much it, right there you have it, but how many agency principals have so many irons in the fire that they just don't make the time to do that. Right. So That's my it. advice to my peer group would be to schedule it, schedule that time and then commit to that time block to do exactly what you're supposed to do and do that once a month. There, problem solved. Now it's up to you to execute. I told you how to do it. You just have to execute and do it. Sorry, Max, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, you're 100% on. Yeah. There's so many other things that are going on in the agency. It's not that they don't care. It's just they're busy and they're worrying about the client that just had a claim or, or something like that, which mm -hmm. ultimately you do have to go through and set aside a certain amount of time to work on your business. And especially if you're looking to sell in like a few years, it makes sense to go through and then do it earlier rather than later. So like whether it's like joining a CEO group or just uh, peer advisors, et cetera, like that type of stuff makes a huge difference on, on net sales price. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, and it's interesting because there are those CEO groups out there and there are accountability groups, but I always wonder how many people actually take that stuff seriously, right? 
like I, I have clients that are in these masterminds specific to their industry. They're paying like 25 grand a year to be part of this mastermind. If I'm going to pay 25 like, like a grand, CEO mastermind group. Where, yeah. If I'm going to be, okay. if, if I'm going to pay 25 grand to be part of a mastermind, like that better come with quarterly car detailing and a few other things, <laughs> you know, in addition to just going around and picking people's brains. But as you think, as I look at who the people are that are in the room, Every single one of them, 25 grand's like next to nothing, man. These guys and ladies are all next level. You know, when I look at the masterminds that are available inside the insurance industry, some of them, some of them are free, but even the ones you pay for, they're not like a tremendous amount of money. And I think that a lot of times that the agents that are there look at it as like, eh, it's really not that expensive. I can't imagine it's going to make me that much better. Or a lot of them are looking at oh my gosh, I'm not paying that just so I can sit around and talk to my friends about our agencies or whatever. I don't think that our industry, with the exception, you know, my friend Chris Paradiso, you guys may know Paradiso. He's tight with Matt too. You know, Chris is part of the Greenwich Group and that's a group that um, we're considering looking at from an accountability standpoint. And it it comes with a reasonable price tag. It's not necessarily too high. It's not necessarily low either. But yeah. I mean- it's it's what I think agency principals really need to be doing. It's getting in, laying out your financials and, and sharing everything. Like yeah. when you go in, you go in, you're all in. Everybody gets to pick your business apart. They can tell you what they would do differently, what you're doing good, all of that. I just don't know how many of my peers are willing to solicit that kind of open feedback, especially mm -hmm. with but something it, that's held so closely to them, knowing that it could make them that much better and they still won't do it. It's so helpful though. Uh, I mean, like anytime I went to uh, to meetings like that, like I'd walk away with three to six big things, but those things compounded over several years. It's a different agency with and without it. Um, I, I can't give enough value to them, honestly. I also wonder, and I'll be the one to make this remark. I wouldn't want you guys to get you in trouble. I wonder how many of my peer groups really even know how to read the financials. Okay, let's just call it what it is. You know, how many people really know how to read an income statement and a balance sheet and understand all of the different things that are in there? Like if it were me and I didn't know how to do that, I would get a copy of my income statement on my balance sheet and then I would go to chat GBT and ask it to explain every single line on there until I had a really good understanding of what all of that stuff meant. But yeah. I mean, I see so many times where you got people that have great, high-performing, high-income agencies, and when you look at what's on the balance sheet, it's like, where's your asset? All you have is a revenue stream here. It's like almost like you're doing affiliate marketing. You're not really growing anything, right? Totally. And I think that boils down to the fact that you know agents really don't understand, and it's not like... I'm not casting stones at them by any stretch. Their education may not have been in business. It may not have been around that. But for crying out loud, if you've owned an agency for 20 years, probably a good time would have been 19 years ago to start learning how to do the, you know, read the financials and everything. I don't think it's ever too late, but I think there's a certain a, a certain amount that's lost in translation just because yeah. they don't they don't understand that. And I mean, that's evidenced by the the it, it, this is 100% based on the fact i listen to so many people gripe not understanding why you need the financials of a company to get coverage placed depending on the line of coverage sure. right if they knew how to read financials and the impact then they wouldn't be questioning why an underwriter wants it to make sure a company's going to be solvent that tells me we have a problem with general 
financial literacy when it comes to reading the financial documents. And so, you know, I think that's a huge thing that, you know, the the industry, I don't, I don't know how you solve the problem other than get education out there, but my peer group needs to know that stuff, man. They need to, they need to practice it and become fluent in it. Can't, can't disagree with you. And I think Mike lives in the financials of agencies all day long. So he has seen like some, some fun stuff. Uh, and a lot of times, even the accountants, accountants are, they work with, you know, hundreds of different types of businesses. And oftentimes when they're working in the insurance world, like it is different for accounting for insurance agencies than it is for like a retail business. Um, yeah, but yeah. they don't have the information. So if, if the agency doesn't know, and then they go to the other person who's supposed to help them with it, and that person doesn't know either, it's even more difficult. Yeah. So let's talk about legacy advisors specifically for a second here. You know, you guys are kind of, you're an inter, not a kind of, you're an intermediary. You're not, you're not the ones actually doing the acquisition. You're advocating for whoever the seller is when that time yeah. comes for it to actually happen. Right. So, you know, my, my thought process is this. I think there's so many people that get enamored with the dollars that are attached to these transactions that they want to push and push and push. They see that money and it's like they're going it, to it's the hardest they've worked in decades to get everything ready and get out so they can have the acquisition. And you know, I think that it's I think it's interesting, you know, it's sort of an interesting dynamic to see it that way, but I also think that it opens up the opportunity for a lot of information to either be overlooked or even the potential for people to be misled. And so I really appreciate the fact that you're sort of this in not sort of you're this independent third party that's looking over everything to make sure that that agency principal's not going to make a bad decision by going in and just trusting whoever the the firm is. This is, oh no, we've got attorneys that'll handle all of this. Trust me, you can talk to so and so and so and so. I believe you know them. Right. They'll tell you how smooth the transition went. I look at that as like the same thing as going and getting a divorce and not using an attorney for it, but trusting the soon to be ex wife's attorney to handle it for you <laughs> and have your sure. best interest in mind. Nobody's yeah. going to do that. So why in the world would you want to trust? whoever that person is that's going to buy the agency from you, I think that you're better served having a third party, somebody that's been through it on the private equity side, like Mike, somebody who's been through it on the agency side, like you, Max, that you can marry that information and those experiences. And then you can look over our shoulders to make sure we're not doing anything stupid. You know, is it for the same reasons? I didn't mean to interrupt you, but like, I mean, that an agency owner may not want to, look at the financials or, or really have a deep understanding. They just like, okay, look, I, I just want to sell. I want to be done with it. I want somebody else to hand it, handle it for me. And so then they're just, you know, if the easiest route is to have that, that buyer come in and they've got somebody, do you, I mean, and that's the only thing that makes sense in my head as to why somebody would do that and just rely on, on the other party. Well, I think the I, other I thing is you got a lot of people who have, they're sitting on a multi-million dollar asset that they never planned on having. Yeah. That's real money to them. In many cases, they've never really taken a huge pay chunk, you know, payday out of the agency. You know, mm-hmm. they they may take a salary or commission when they sell something, price slide in the company debit card for a few discretionary expenses, you know, along the way, but they don't really have any real wealth that's come from it. And so, 
you know, I think that that's part of it is they see those dollar signs mm-hmm. and it's not even so much about just wanting to walk away. It's like, let's, let's get this thing done. Let's get right. this deal done. I want to hurry up. This deal's not done till I see the wire hit my account. If I had a dollar for every time I've heard that in the last three years, but <laughs> I, I do think that's part of it. I, you know, the way I'm wired, I'm willing to give up something for being able to walk away, but I ain't giving up the farm to walk away either. And, 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 and Mike hit it on the head too. I love producing. It's not that I mind the operations part. It's just not my favorite part. And it's not the part that I'm the best suited for. I really have to focus in order to do that. For me to go out and produce is not nearly the amount of effort for me that it would be. And I know that sounds crazy, but it's just that's not who I am. It's far more of a of a conscious effort on my part to have to focus on all the other stuff that happens in running an agency than just going and selling. So if you were to say, look, we're going to keep you around, man. You have to have a three-year earnout. We're going to throw a little bit of a production goal on here that you need to hit in order to maximize it. We also, you know, we want to have you develop some of these other producers that were under you that, that you haven't had a chance to work with 100% yet. At the same time, feel free to go ahead and recruit and, and grow the agency. Ultimately, you know, you're growing your asset along with us and all of that. You're going to get me to stick around for two or three years because the right. the operating the operating idea there is I just get to go back and be a producer again. You do what you love. Yeah. Yeah. I I look back at it every day and, you know, it's not that I've abandoned production because I haven't, if I have, I have to produce now more than ever because I'm responsible for a whole lot of other people besides me. But, you know, if I, if I look at it, it's just like, if all I have to do is go out and produce and I can do that for three years, I'm going to make a ton of money on commission that I haven't been making. Cause I haven't, I've always been working through other people. Plus I have the ability to go out and really invest in the people that I brought on and see that through to completion too, because I can tell you more than the money, more than anything else. And this is not a BS line for everybody out there listening and thinking that it may be. It's not the truth. My team will tell you, they've heard me say it multiple times. I don't want to exit if it's going to be of detriment to them, period. I will always sacrifice self first. Doesn't matter what it is in life. But I refuse for my legacy to the team that has been through thick and thin with me. I refuse for that legacy to be David got a big payout and we got a a thank you card for our time. If I benefit, they benefit, period. And I, I think that that's really, really important to me, too. So that would be the other driving factor. If I couldn't get some sort of a payout that was significant enough that I could also reward them for their loyalty and hard work and helping me build it. Cause let's be very, very clear. I did not build my agency and I'm not building my agency on my own. I think there are a lot of people out there that are misguided and think that because they started the agency by themselves, they built the agency by themselves. And that's not how it works. People. I don't care who you are out there. Yeah. Find me. If you want to argue, I'm happy to have that <laughs> argument all day long, but I want to make sure my people are taken care of. So my question is, um, how do you guys, you know, what advice do you have from agency for agency principals to make sure that's what happens? That how do you comfort them or console them as they're going through this, knowing change is going to happen, that their people are going to come out on the other side okay? I think if you're asking the right questions and talking to the right right buyers, one thing that's very helpful right now, everyone's looking for top talent. It's not like there's any agency out there. It's like, oh man, I just have too many great people. Like just doesn't exist. So like Mm -hmm. everyone's going through and then looking for the same thing. So like from a retention of employee standpoint, it's it's probably more about if they want to stay than it is about the agency and if if they want to keep them. 
uh, honestly. And to your previous question, like, well, why are people going through and then selling and maybe just with one buyer that they've met, they don't know what the options are. Like no one's ever talked with them about this beforehand. Like they're, they're pros at selling insurance policies, managing, managing insurance agencies, but they, they've never gone to a school to sell an insurance agency. Like mm-hmm. they also don't know what their value is because like David's point beforehand, right? It is multi-million dollar value, but maybe you think that it's seven, seven million dollars in value, but reality is it's 10. And if a buyer can go through and they're the only buyer that you've talked to and they give you an offer of seven, you're like really happy about it, but you left $3 million on the table that you didn't mm-hmm. even know about, um, which happens often. Yeah. yeah. Our, our job our job is to educate and basically just get our clients the best options that we can so they can evaluate them. If they ask our opinion, we will certainly tell you, but like, it's, it's not our job to push in one, one direction or another. Obviously we get paid when a transaction closes. So we, we want to do some business, sure. but if it's not now, if you, if you, if your number has to be 30% higher, Go grow for a couple more years. Hopefully, we added enough value. You liked working with us, and you work with us in the future, and, and we all make more money. So it's it's really about educating people and just letting them know what the options are that are out there. And if it, if it's not time, that's that's fine with us. Yeah, you know, it's interesting too because I think that that there's a lot of that right where there's an agency that's maybe yeah you're just a couple years too early. You know, if you would if you'd have just waited a couple years, you'd have gotten to the size where it makes sense. And then I see that there's a phenomenon out there on the streets where you may have two or three of those agencies that decide, you know what, let's just band together and let's Mm -hmm. approach a buyer as a group and say, look, we understand that any one of us as we stand on our own may not be big enough to get those massive multiples we're hearing about from everybody else. But when you pull all three of us together, if you're willing to make the acquisition based off of the collective valuation of the three agencies, we all get a significant lift from where we would be on our own. And we may actually be able to make that deal now. I mean, is that still happening out there? I think it's still happening. I don't think it's if you did the same thing the beginning of last year, it would be easier. There's more things that there's more. Uh, boxes that have to be checked now but it absolutely can be and it's also like a really helpful scenario if somebody does want to go through in the next set and maybe two other people want to stay on like if there's a strategic reason for it it can be very very helpful and lucrative for all of them. so hmm. before we wrap up why don't you guys take just a couple minutes and talk about who your ideal client is for legacy advisors like the agencies that are out there listening you got 25, 30,000 people that are going to download this. Who are you looking for to put into your, into your portfolio of people that you've helped? So overall, we have a pretty vast, uh, vast group of, of different sellers that have gone through and worked with us. Some of them have basically just wanted to de-risk and continue. So they have an asset. They want to maintain uh, their agency life. They want to have some, some level of autonomy. Um, but they just want to go through and make make it so that they have the they're taking the chips off the table. Um, others uh, are kind of the opposite. They are looking to ramp stuff up, and rather than going out and getting funding, uh, they're looking to sell, um, have somebody else go through and then take over a lot of the back up back office stuff so they can grow even faster. Um, and then there's others which are they're just looking to exit. Right to your point, like they're looking for either new challenge or looking to retire. Um, so I think it pretty all over the board. Mike, anything that you think specific 
No, I think that was good. Just in terms of size, our, our clients are typically somewhere between one and 10 million in revenue. Uh, we have clients that are smaller that are growing quickly and we're, we're happy to, to work with those clients as well. But yeah, and anyone that's curious about what their options are as, as a potential seller, we'd, we'd be happy to talk to you. How do they how do they reach out to you guys? Uh, they need to go to our website. Uh, so it's legacyadvisors.partners or they can email Mike or myself. So it's max at legacyadvisors.partners. Or Mike, uh, Mike at Legacy Advisors at Partners. Cool. Any parting words of wisdom before we wrap up, fellas? Uh, no, I, I think this is great. I think honestly, anything that uh, can be provided into the agency world, where they have a better idea about what happens in or around the time that they go through and then sell, so they have more information and can make better informed decisions, is really helpful. So we really appreciate the fact that you had us on the podcast today. Yeah, thank absolutely. you both. Absolutely. And I think, you know what, here's the thing, people. I know these guys, they're not going to hammer you. They got plenty going on. They don't need to sit around dialing on the phone until they bug the daylights out of you to have a conversation. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to seek help. If you've even remotely thought about it, I highly recommend you reach out and just have the conversation to figure out if it makes sense for you to engage with legacy advisors and move forward seen too far too many times out there where there's insurance agencies that end up in probate and other places because there never was a plan. And you're at a point in life now where you have an asset. It doesn't matter how long you've been in business. You have an asset of some size, and that's going to only increase in value if you do your job the right way. You don't ever want to seek advice on maximizing the value of an asset when it's time for you to sell. You need to be seeking that advice well in advance so you have time to execute on the principles necessary for you to get that max payout when your ex exit day comes. So please, you know, if I were to ever give you any advice, talk to somebody who's a professional now that can, can show you the way. And the other thing is, you know, make sure you have your succession planning and everything in order. If you don't think you're going to sell, have a pathway. Make sure yeah. that if it's a family agency that you have a will and it's clearly defined as to who gets what and make sure that if it's not, that you at least have some level of a succession plan that's legally sound and documented. Because the one thing I would hate more than anything else is for somebody to have worked their entire life to build an asset thinking they were going to exit. And then you get together with these guys and they say, well, you got a few things that you need to clean up before you do. And you take the time to go do that and something happens in terms of a life event and you never have the opportunity to realize the return on all your hard work. So yeah. if you're even remotely considering, reach out, have the conversation. This isn't a time share presentation by any stretch. <laughs> have the conversation and let these guys help you. With that, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up, fellas. Thanks so much for being on. You've been listening to the Power Producers Podcast. You can follow Killing Commercial Insurance on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to take your game to the next level, next level, check out our book, The Extra Two Minutes, and our website, killingcommercial.com.